Episode 162 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by cloud accounting software FreshBooks, offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial. To claim it, go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. Imagine going to your boss and saying, sure, I'd like to deliver this project or this deliverable. Just give me a little less budget, give me a little less time, and give me one fewer person. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever-important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hi, I'm so glad that you're here. This is the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. We talk about leadership, of course, and also things like productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, and more. And in just a bit, you and I will sit down with Scott Sunshine. He's the author of a new book called Stretch, Unlock the Power of Less and Achieve More Than You Ever Imagined. I'm going to ask Scott about the critical elements of what he calls a stretching mindset, the importance of moving beyond the experts and the value that bringing outsiders into your thinking process or your organization can bring, how to avoid falling victim to what Scott calls overstretching and much more. If you've listened to the Read to Lead podcast at all over the last year, you've no doubt heard about cloud accounting software FreshBooks. One of the reasons they've stayed with us for as long as they have is because their advertising works. And the reason their advertising works is because you've responded to it. And so I want to say thank you. Creating this podcast each and every week, as you might imagine, can be time-consuming. There certainly are costs involved. And, And to know that you believe in it enough to spend time with our advertisers means a lot to me. Maybe like me, you work for yourself. Maybe you're a freelancer. Well, you know how easy it can be to get buried under a pile of paperwork. And when that paperwork involves the finances of your business, ugh, at least that's how I feel about it. And so FreshBooks helps me take the uh, out of my out of my business. And they have made it so very easy to use, which, trust me, is really, really helpful to a guy like me. They make it easy to create and send your invoices. Setting up online payments is easy, which means you get paid that much faster. You can see when your clients have seen an invoice, which puts it into all those guessing games. Reminders can be sent out to your clients automatically. I love all that FreshBooks has to offer. In fact, I've been using it since 2009. That's how much I believe in it. If you're one of those who has not tried out FreshBooks yet, you can do that right now and get access to all of their features. This is an unrestricted free trial. That means you get access to every feature for 30 days without any cost or obligation. To claim your free month, just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead, and then just enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. Again, that's freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Scott Sunshine is the Henry Gardner Simmons Professor of Management at Rice University, and his award-winning research, teaching, and consulting have helped Fortune 500 executives, entrepreneurs, and professionals in industries like technology, healthcare, retail, education, banking, manufacturing, and nonprofits. Scott holds several degrees, including a PhD in management and organizations from the University of Michigan. And he's worked at a Silicon Valley startup and as a strategy consultant for companies such as AT&T and Microsoft. Scott is also the author of Stretch, Unlock the Power of Less 
and achieve more than you ever imagined. Scott, welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for having me. At, a, at its core, Scott's book is all about how we view uh, this thing called uh, resources. And, and Scott, at first blush, this, this whole idea of, of achieve more, do less sounds somewhat counterintuitive. So explain, if you would, the premise of the book. We overestimate what we need to accomplish many of our goals, and we have a tendency to underestimate the flexibility of the resources that we already have to achieve those goals. So stretch is the psychology of resourcefulness. Mm. It's about how do you take whatever time, money, information, connections, or whatever resources you have and get more done with them. Well, we'll talk, if you would, Scott, about this concept that you illustrate in the book called chasing. And what are some of the ways that we tend to, as humans, chase? Well, the opposite of stretching is is chasing. So if stretching is taking your resources and getting more out of them, chasing mm-hmm. is focusing on acquiring resources. Your first instinct when it comes to solving a problem is to go out and get something else. And this is often driven by making comparisons. If I only had the size team of someone else at work, or if I had a bigger budget or a better job title, I could be doing more. So when we're chasing, we're beginning to redirect our goals away from what it is I think we're trying to truly accomplish and instead focus all of our energy on acquiring resources. And that becomes a really draining experience because there's always going to be someone who has more resources than us. So we're never going to end up winning that game. And meanwhile, we're not taking any steps closer to our goals. Well, one of the things that I appreciate as much as anything in reading this book, in addition to the research, and research can sometimes be dry, but but that's not the case here. There are so many real life stories that help illustrate so many of the points in the book, and and to me, it's it's uh, dare I say a fun read. <laughs> oh, that that's it is fun. <laughs> in, in addition to being an, an informative read, so so let's now contrast that with stretching, but specifically the mindset shift we need to make to stretch. You handed at some of this earlier, Scott, but what are some of the critical elements of a, of a stretching mindset? So you want to get into this mentality that your first instinct is to look inward at your goals, take stock of your resources, and be flexible with them. And what the research shows is there's several ways of, of doing that. The first is ownership, not ownership in the literal sense, but psychological ownership. Do you feel that you're in control of your resources? Mm. Many of us were at work, we're at a desk, we don't actually own the desk, we don't own a lot of the equipment and the tools that we use, but can we put ourselves in that mindset that those are our tools? So in my research, uh, I encountered, I was doing some research in a chain of women's fashion boutiques, and I encountered this store manager He's the most successful store manager in this chain. I went and I was trying to understand, well, what made you so successful? What is it that you're doing? He told me this story about a time when he received what he considered a completely terrible product. It was a dress. No one was buying it. It was so poorly made. It kept falling off the hangers. Now, he didn't own the dress, but he said, you know, how am I going to solve this problem? Because at the end of the day, this is my store. I just felt this real strong connection to the store. And what he ended up doing, which, by the way, I think in many organizations would get you fired, Mm. is he took a pair of scissors and he cut the straps (laughs) off of the dress. And he was celebrated as a hero for stretching that resource. He cut the straps off. He rolled them up tied them with a bow and made the sign and said beach cover up. And it went from last seller to best seller. Mm. So that's part of it is getting that ownership mindset. Another big part of it is embracing constraints. 
Now, we tend to want to shy away from constraints when we're in the land of chasing. Constraints Mm -hmm. are something that is a sign that maybe we're not doing so well because the boss isn't giving us everything that we think that we need. But in stretching, what the research shows is constraints actually help us use things in more creative and innovative ways. Third, frugality. Mm. Frugality is this idea of can we think about using resources in ways that get the most out of them? We tend to think, well, if you're frugal, you're really cheap. You don't want to spend any money. And that's that's not that's not the way to success. One is on an individual level, you're denying yourself indulgences that might bring you great pleasure. But from a business perspective, if you're not investing in your business or in your projects, that's not a foundation of success. So when you're cheap, you have this pain from spending any money. Not good. Mm. But when you're stretching and you're frugal, you get this actual psychological pleasure out of using resources wisely. And then finally is this idea of how do you take what other people consider trash, what other people look at as invaluable resources, and turn them into treasures. And I profile a number of examples throughout Stretch where people have taken literally trash and turned them into (laughs) gourmet food products or looking at how big companies like General Motors instill this idea of resourcefulness and reusing waste from their production and turning them into into car parts. And uh, I showed my wife this section of the book. She has a business called Beauty from Trashes. Oh. And she uh, literally dumpster dives and, and pulls things out that other folks have, have discarded and builds amazing things with them and then turns around and sells those, those designs. Um, uh, to ownership, you know, I, when, when I was reading about this concept, I mean, I thought of, of a sp- specific time in, in my work career where I sort of took the lead on something and, and did something I thought was pretty creative and, and, and turned some things around in a particular area and was chided for, for having done so, almost, almost uh, fired, in fact, for doing that, looking back on it. One of my favorites of these is constraints, because I think, I think about things as a former musician, or I guess you're never really a former musician, but <laughs> as a musician, I think about all the rules associated with music. When I think about things like improv, improv works because there are so many rules, right? I mean, if I say to you, do you see that bear over there? Uh, you respond with something like yes, and. If you respond instead with no, then it's the end, right? It's over. <laughs> right. And, and, and these other areas uh, that we think of as being so creative work because uh, th- there are these constraints, I, I think. If you're just going to bang on the keyboard, then good luck finding an audience, right? No, that's right. And it, you look at the history of, of artists, too. So Monet was well known for constantly imposing constraints. And as we apply this to how we think about our work and leadership, constraints are really generative in that sense, because what really separates people who are successful from very successful people is that they know how to do work in more than one way. Mm. And every time you impose new constraints on yourself, you're constantly learning how to do the same thing, but you're learning how to do those things differently. And that helps you adapt when circumstances inevitably change. You don't just have one way of doing things. You can adjust to the times. Mm. One area I found particularly intriguing was this idea of outsiders. And and consistently, the research seems to show that outsiders outshine experts. Can you expound on that? So I start off by prefacing that there's there's a good place for experts in society and I wouldn't want anyone to come to my office hours here and ask me to pull out a tooth. I mean, so there's, there's a, there's a role for, 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 for experts, but too often we defer the experts when we're trying to solve complex problems at work. So you ask what kind of team would you want to form at work? 
And a lot of people would say, well, give me the people who know the most. I want the most experienced. I want the most expert people out there. It turns out that that's often not the best advice to have because what happens is experts approach problems in very specific ways. They have a system of using tools and they have a hard time moving beyond that system. So if you look at research that shows the amount of performance that's explained by practice, that relationship becomes significantly lower Hmm. as you move from structured activities like games, think chess that has really fixed rules, to unstructured activities that we spend most of our waking lives doing, namely learning and working. And that practice eventually becomes a liability for solving complex problems because we start to develop tunnel vision. So in one of the most eye-opening studies that I've looked at in a while, researchers set out to examine a very simple but important question, namely looking across 10 different countries, 166 scientific labs, what is the relationship between the amount of domain knowledge a scientist had Mm. in an area and how likely they were to have a solution to solve a problem in that area? And of course, they found a relationship, but it was negative, Mm. which is unbelievable. The more (laughs) chemistry knowledge you had, the less likely you were to solve those chemistry problems. It was the biologists who were able to do this. So when we're forming our teams, we want to be mindful of really putting not just experts, but these outsiders on it. And some research has looked at mathematical modeling and has shown that the way that most of us go about selecting our teams, we'd actually be better off picking names out of a hat. <laughs> Related to this, uh, I think those who, who desire to do good work, to do their work well, can can sometimes over plan. I'm a planner, as are many of my clients and most of the people I uh, interact with day to day, Scott, are planners. But if we're not careful, we can succumb to the perils of planning, as you call it, can't we? Yeah, and it's a, it's another manifestation. It's more expertise doesn't equal better <laughs> results. More time and plans doesn't equal better results. And you know what tends to go wrong with planning is often we face a lot of uncertainty in our work environments, and we create these five-year plans that are based off of faulty assumptions. We quickly forget that those assumptions are faulty, and we believe that they're true. And we end up planning for a world that doesn't exist by the time it should in our plan. And so we end up wasting a lot of time. We end up tricking ourselves into a reality that doesn't exist. And we forget that what really matters for success and performance isn't what we actually plan to do. It's what we actually do do. So instead of saying, you know, if I only just had more time or more money or more information and kind of think about how you're going to plan out to get those resources – Oftentimes, if we just start acting and making things happen with what we have, we end up with better results. You just paraphrased what was one of my favorite sentences in the entire book that says, in part, the biggest determination of our performance is what we do and not what we plan to do. I love that. It's simple but profound at the same time. Well, I lead a a book club every month with uh, Read to Lead listeners. And and Scott, I was recently encouraged to, when several hands go up in the group, to to set a speaking order as I I call on someone so so the rest who had their hand up know who's next, etc. And and you actually talk about this in the book specifically. Why is this a bad idea and how does this play into overlooking resources that are right in front of us? Well, you made the same mistake that I made the very first time I was I was teaching was at the University of Michigan. It was an undergraduate class 
in organizational behavior. And I had you put participation in the syllabus and everyone all of a sudden wants to raise their hands and participate. <laughs> so I had lots of hands up and it was chaotic. And I said, well, this is really logical. Let me just go around the room and say, I'm going to call on you first and you next and maybe pick five or six different students of who would talk. And that was setting a speaking order. And what I realized is I would get to maybe the third or fourth student and they would say what they thought was the most amazing comment. And with only the bravado of an undergraduate business school at a, at a top institution thinking this was great. This really moved the direction. I'm going to get lots of, lots of points in my partic participation for this. And <laughs> this student is gleefully smiling and everyone else in the room is cringing and the student can't figure it out. And what happened is their brilliant comment, which objectively could have been brilliant, was just said by the person right next to them <laughs> and they had no idea. And it's what social psychologists call the next in line effect. Mm. The idea that when we plan to speak, our mind shuts down from listening about nine seconds before it's our turn and stays shut down about nine seconds after it's our turn. What we're doing is we're focusing on rehearsing our plan, thinking exactly what we're gonna say, that we shut ourselves out from the conversation. And then afterwards, we're reflecting, well, did I really say what I was supposed to? How did I stick to the plan? Mm. And what this tends to do is, as we're running our teams and our groups, we're not getting the best information out there. So we're overlooking all of the wisdom in the group. If people are busy thinking about planning their speaking performances, as opposed to just jumping right in. So we've tried to move to a more improvisational format in terms of meetings to overcome this and get people comfortable that they don't need to plan out what they're going to say because by the time they say it, it might be irrelevant. The conversation might have moved on. I mean, why should the random spot that you happen to sit in a room dictate the flow and order of a conversation? But that happens in meetings all of the time. Hmm. Well, Scott, what have you discovered about how our own expectations of ourselves elevate us? I think we have to start by the reality, which is which is the other side of this question, which is, you know, even though we're, we're trying to stretch our resources, we often do the opposite. And I see this most prominently in organizational change, where I spend a lot of my time conducting research. And what I mean by that is we tend to expect the worst in people. We put that <laughs> proverbial dunce cap on them. Mm. We might have heard about the new guy at work and maybe we heard he's a jerk and before we've even met him, of course. And then when we interact with him, well, lo and behold, we treat him like he is a jerk and he then becomes a jerk. And so the way that we interact with people and those expectations we have for them could make them perform down to being that jerk or it could elevate their performance. So my advice is replace that dunce cap with a competence cap and expect the best in people. And what the research shows is from everything from students who are trying to learn to how supervisors interact with their employees, when you expect more out of people, as long as those expectations are believable, you're going to get more out of them. Mm. Well, uh, Scotty, in, re in regard to the chapter called uh, Mix It Up, speak, if you would, to this idea of our multiple identities, all of which are, are true to who we are. It, it sounds like that would not be the case, but uh, talk about these multiple identities and, and the danger, though, that you talk about in segmenting these identities. So one of the principles of stretching is to recognize that the sum often is greater than its parts. It's a wisdom that goes all the way back to Aristotle. And if you think about the history of innovation, that's exactly what we've been doing. Mm. Ten years ago is the 10-year anniversary of the iPhone. You had a camera. 
and you had a phone and you put them together and you changed the way that many of us spend our days and our, and our lives. Well, the same thing is true about our identities and there's often great benefits that you can have from mixing stuff like our identities. Mm-hmm. Some of us like to segment our identities. So our biggest identities for many people are I'm a professional and maybe I'm also a parent or some type of home life separation. <laughs> and we try and segment these two. But what we can do is if we look at how they're actually synergistic with each other, how being a parent might teach you a lot of patience that then helps you at work or work teaches you a set of skills around how you communicate and interact that helps you at home, you not only are going to feel better because you don't have this fragmented life, but you're also going to be able to benefit both spheres that are important to you. Hmm. Well, uh, later in the book, Scott says it's important to note that if we're not careful, we can we can fall victim to injuries, as it were, due to uh, overstretching. Uh, Scott, what are some of the, the common ones we need to look out for? And related to that, what are some of the exercises we can leverage to help strengthen our ability to stretch and to stretch more often? I think like much social science, of course, there's limitations to to anything. So we talked a lot about improvisation and how that's important. One of the injuries, of course, is what I call leaping without looking, which Mm -hmm. is just jumping in without realizing what you're doing. What makes people good improvisers in this stretch framework is if they're learning, if they're just doing things and they're not learning and getting feedback and adjusting, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to be successful. We talked a little about the differences between being frugal and cheap. (laughs) When you're cheap, you're just not – making investments that are necessary to grow your business. So that's an overstretch of frugality. Mm. Another another important one is uh, expectations. There's a fine line between setting high expectations from someone and setting a curse on them, giving them that performance pressure. Mm. And what tends to matter most there is how credible and believable those expectations are. So once you kind of overcome some of those potential challenges, I think your next question is, well, what are some of the things we can do to practically become better stretchers? Mm. So I have a kind of a a list of things I, I like to tell people. And the first is probably advice that I think they'd be really reluctant to take, but when they do, they realize it's power, which is imagine going to your boss and saying, sure, I'd like to deliver this project or this deliverable. Just give me a little less budget, give me a little <laughs> less time, and give me one fewer person. And you know, you most people have that visceral reaction. That's terrible. Why would you why would you ever do that? One, you're marginalizing your project, but two, how are you gonna get it done? And when people do this exercise, they realize that one, they can actually deliver the the project with less and that they can be a lot more efficient and productive. But two, it really puts them in this powerful mindset that says, wow, look what I actually can do with what I already have? How might I take this in other aspects of my work and even beyond work uh, to be able to do more? Two, visit new places. Diversity of experiences is really critical for helping us see how to use our resources differently. And that's why outsiders tend to outshine experts in many respects. But we we can help take ourselves outside of our own work by doing very simple things. So go have lunch with someone who has your same job but in a completely different industry or go have lunch with someone who works in a similar industry with a different job and Mm. go to a conference in an industry that's not yours and you'll see that (laughs) oftentimes we're solving similar problems but from different perspectives and that helps us unlock what we already have and approach those problems. And then another one I really like is 
scramble your routine. So we get into these routines of, well, this is just the way we've always done things. <laughs> so, you know, run your Monday meeting on a Tuesday and see what happens or try it from a different room. Kind of mix up how people sit, how do the dynamics of the group change when you interject these types of differences. And I think what you'll find is that they do change. I love this. I can talk about this all afternoon, uh, but I can't. And I know you can't either because uh, you, you've got some classes to teach here soon. I do want to ask some questions, Scott, not directly related to the book. But before I do, what else, if anything, from the book would you like to make sure that, that we know? People have a choice whether or not they want to wait for what they think are the best or ideal tools, compare the tools or resources they have with others. What I want to recommend is that they look inward and they focus first primarily on their goals and what they're trying to achieve. And then think about those goals and think about what resources they already have and how they can just be more engaged and more creative with those. And oftentimes that's more than enough to get to where you want to get to. I want to shift briefly, Scott, from the book you've written to some books that you've read and share, if you would, one or two that over the years maybe have had uh, an impact on you, a dramatic impact on you. And, and if you can share why they impacted you as they did. Oh, yeah. Always a, always a hard question with so many, <laughs> so many choices. But, um, you know, I love Carol Dweck's book, Mindset. Mm. It kind of gives us a, a new framework for that we, we can always learn, we can always put ourselves in a growth orientation that what we have isn't fixed. So she's talking largely about intelligence, and I think that applies to lots of other aspects, both psychological aspects as well as physical aspects of our lives. I also like, this is maybe a, a bit more obscure to some of your listeners, a book by Carl Weick called Sensemaking and Organizations. Mm. And it's a, it's a book about how you navigate ambiguity and uncertainty in your organizations. And it teaches us how to detect all of those subtle cues as things are changing so we can understand our environments and our work better. Hmm, I don't know that one. I'm going to check that out. Thank you for that recommendation. I appreciate it. Well, I know you do a lot of public speaking, and of course, you're in front of uh, classrooms every day, too. Uh, and I'd love to know, uh, Scott, what are some of your tips that you'd be willing to share for delivering you know, an impactful and memorable public talk? I think we tend to put a lot of emphasis on people's style, but mm. at the end of the day, the most memorable talks tend to be ones with the most memorable ideas. So mm. start with a really good idea is probably step number one. And a second piece of advice how much do you internalize and believe the message that you're giving? And when it's really authentic and coming from that authentic place, you tend to be a lot more comfortable and re re <laughs> relaxed in giving that message. And your audience is going to be able to pick up on that. I could not agree with both of those points more. I love that. Well, uh, finally, Scott, if you can tell us what's next for you, what are you and your team working on now that uh, that you're excited about? Is it just all about the book right now or are there other things you're looking ahead to? Well, pretty pretty busy uh, uh, trying to get the word about the, the book out right now, but also in the midst of a multi-year study looking at the sharing economy to understand how this is changing the way that people work mm. and what it's like to you know have a have a job that is using your existing resources that are private resources and then inviting strangers and the public into them and what that does about how people relate to work and their stuff. Well the book again is called Stretch Unlock the Power of Less and Achieve More Than You Ever Imagined. Scott, thank you so much for for being a part of the show. I'm not even done with the book yet, and I think I've already gone through one and a half pens because I keep running out of ink because I underline stuff in here. Well, thanks so much again for having me, Jeff. It was great chatting with you. 
To find out more about Scott, you can visit his website. And I would tell you his website, but then I'd have to spell it. So just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash 162 for episode 162. And we've linked there to all things Scott. And you'll also find links to the books that Scott recommended as well. Carol Dweck's Mindset among them. Are you subscribing to the podcast? You know, when you do, you get new episodes pushed to your mobile device automatically. If you're not yet a subscriber, make sure you're doing that. And while you're at it, if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing the podcast as well, that would be so appreciated. In fact, if you think it five-star worthy, we'll be sure and mention your name on a future episode as our way of saying thanks. Visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes or readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher. Thank you in advance for remembering our sponsor, cloud accounting software, FreshBooks, with that month-long free unrestricted trial. Visit freshbooks.com slash read to lead for more and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. And by the way, if you feel like you've noticed something different in the sound of the podcast, if today's episode sounds a little echoey to you, it's not your imagination. My studio is in the process of being remodeled. I'm in the studio now, but the room is almost completely empty, and I'm finding it nearly impossible to rid the room of this echo. Hopefully, it will be echo-free the next time we record a podcast. Well, that's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 